It's House of Decline, a very serious show about very serious topics, like the Tennessee Valley Authority and uh, crime and critical race theory and uh, uh, gerontology and uh, forced foreskin removal. Yeah. Um, we need more forced foreskin removal. All adults with foreskins need them removed immediately. Yeah. It cannot be. It cannot be overstated how toxic foreskins are. Just astonishingly, it's more than smegma. I mean, that's that's our organization's name. You know, the the International Foreskin Removal Association or IFRA. Um, it's it, that's our, that's our motto. It's more than smegma. It's more than just smegma, you know, because people think, you know, oh, what, oh, foreskin's not so bad. We don't have to do the circumcision, you know. We don't have to have a bunch of normal, dry-looking penises. Um, but no, they they want their wet, hooded penises, and that's where disease vectors are started. Did you know, uh, COVID nineteen didn't come from a wet market, didn't come from a lab leak, came from a foreskin. Because. <laughs> They do not have they do not have our foreskin removal practices in China, and it's a real problem over there. IFRA, the International uh, Foreskin Removal Association, should be the IFFRA, the International Forced Foreskin Removal. It's a, it's a bit clunky. Mandatory foreskin removal might be better. Hmm. Yeah. Um. It's you want the covenant with God to be upheld. I believe is. The, is the motive right you're right abraham abraham he he, he what got a, an old-timey scalpel he just whittled a stick down to a sharp point and uh he stuck and poke his foreskin until it was off he perforated the foreskin until he could rip it off like a, a cardboard cereal box like a box top on a cardboard cereal box and he showed it to god and god said Thy, thy perforated foreskin is pleasing to me, Abraham. Now go, go fuck your son. <laughs> go fuck your son in front of me. So right now the uh, England team is battling the Italian team in the Euro Cup. And yeah. my question is, which team do you think has more circumcised players? Uh, England for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. I was thinking. England. No doubt, no doubt. That's no doubt in my mind. Definitely think Luke Shaw is, <laughs> AKA Cut Luke Shaw. Cut Luke Shaw. I oh, call right. me Cut Luke Shaw. <laughs> oh, Cut Luke Shaw. Right, aren't aren't isn't the English team kind of cool because they're standing in solidarity with Palestine or something like that? Or I don't know. Or, I have no the idea. The Italian about team, the flag of Italy, is closer. To Palestine, yeah, right. They're so they're more pro-Palestinian, yeah. I mean, the Italians have more uh, Syrian refugees. I don't know. Italians have a delicious-looking flag. It looks like basil and mozzarella and tomato sauce. Yeah, all it's together, all their you know? ingredients. It's all the ingredients. So right there on the flag, you know. I don't they're get very, <laughs> why the English flag for their soccer team is not like the Union Jack. It's just like a red cross on a white background. Because that's England, uh, you know. The Union Jack is a is a composite of all oh, the flags yeah. of the United Kingdom, right? 
Oh, it's so got the, you know how the Scottish flag is blue, but it's got like a diagonal cross. Okay, so that's the a UK. Diagonal so this isn't cross, yeah. this isn't actually this isn't like UK. This is no, it's just England. England. It's just the subdivision of the UK where all the worst people in the UK come from. There I said it. Wow. The Welsh. Let Let's rank the nations of England. Welsh number is, one. Welsh is number one. Welsh is number one. Okay, yeah. Uh, Scot Scottish is number two. Yeah. Northern Irish. Number three. Steady bronze. And four is England, the and worst. Four is England. And then five is regular Irish. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, they're part of the United Kingdom. Yeah, but they don't want to admit it, but they're, they're part of it. ranked below English. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> they got, I mean, they got taken over by the English. How embarrassing is that? And then six is Canada. Yeah, we, yeah. we are still part of the United Kingdom. We fail to gain independence. We, we talk a lot of big game. I mean, the Queen is still on our money. Seven so, is you know. Australia. Uh-huh. We're, we're just doing all the Commonwealths now? Yeah, but zero. We forgot to say zero is America. We're in you're, front of you're right. Yeah. <laughs> it, oh. transcends, it transcends the Commonwealth. Well, everyone wants England to win, but I, I don't really want England to win. Oh, I haven't won it in a while, you know. And you know, England—they're the perennial underdogs in the world. I don't you know, think they just can't catch a break. I don't think they've ever actually won a Euro Cup um, at all. They oh, won they've a never World won a Cup. Euro Cup. Yeah, but that's better than the Euro Cup. So who cares? That's an interesting uh, thing. I don't know if it is better or not, because like yeah. the World Cup, you have to like the World Cup. Sometimes it's you get an easy bracket, and you're like, oh, we're we're playing like a team where they don't have like good nutrition and. They have, like, a, a dictator who forces his son onto the yeah. team. And, like, it's, like, easy. Like, oh, well, we got North Korea. It's not going to be that hard. <laughs> but the Euro Cup is, That's like... That's mean to say. Those North Korean players are brave. The Euro Cup, it's, like, the real deal, I think. So Euro Cup might be harder. Yeah, they're all well-fed. They're yeah. all rich. <laughs> it's yeah. basically... From what I've told... The Euro Cup is the Eurovision of soccer. Oh. <laughs> okay. Except Israel's not involved for some reason. Does I guess Israel does have a World Cup team. I guess they've never won though. No. Have you ever seen have you ever seen Jews playing soccer? Yeah, I have. That's funny. <laughs> you can do it. They could do it. No, I they were very good at my high school. They were very good Jewish. There's no correlation. Uh, I've known I've known some athletic Jewish people in my time. I bet Jeff Goldblum would be good at soccer. Hmm. Yeah. He, ooh, maybe I can put it up my ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And when he goes down, when somebody injures him, he's like, Ah, ah, you've hurt me. You've really injured my leg here. Oh, England and Italy. It's tied up. Oh, it's tied up. It's all tied up. Oh, it's it's all tied and Italy up. invented the guy excitedly going, Go! Banucci, the uh, Banucci and Verratti and Chiesa. Yeah. Wow. They're doing their Italian chants all over Italy, which is like Seven Nation Army. They love chanting Seven Nation Army for some reason. And then, you know, just the various millennial whoop chants. They also get like, whoa. Oh, Azuri, Azuri. Um, did you see the lady dressed as the pizza and the guy dressed as Mario? What do you mean? Where was that? 
it, it, there was a, in Wembley Stadium, where this is being held apparently, there was a lady dressed as a pizza, uh, rooting for Italy, and a guy dressed as Mario. And they were looking very disappointed after the first half, after England scored a goal on them. Yeah, um, good old Cut Luke Shaw, I believe, was the goal scorer. Oh, Cut for Luke the, Shaw. Um, but now uncut Bonucci. <laughs> <laughs> That's he's using. He's tapping into the smegma powers. He's tacking into his wet little head, and from that, he's gaining uh, mighty foot skills. Well, I the reason I'm against England winning is because just because of the media coverage that like uh this is gonna be what brings england back together after brexit fractured the the solidarity of of england and the uk and so i don't i don't want that to happen i want them to continue to be a fractured no. nation this will i i predict the opposite this will drive england to a chaos of frenzied looting there's nothing there's nothing worse than a pleasured Englishman, an Englishman without guilt or remorse. They'll just do whatever they want. You've seen the responses. You've seen the lads getting up. Oh, the lads are getting up in the field. Oh, that's Scottish. The mm -hmm. lads. Yeah. The lads. Oh, the lads. The Northern England types. Oh, have you seen the lads getting up in Wembley Stadium? They're taking down the pants and they're waving the shafts all around. You know, oh, gingly gangly gree. They're waving their shafts to and fro. They have the little flag there. They have the white and red cross flag, and they're waving their shafts all over the place to celebrate their football buddies winning. I'm well, sure lots the, of people. The sad thing is that both Ringo and Paul McCartney have so much dementia that they're not going to realize that England wins if England does win. Mm. So. Paul McCartney right now thinks he actually is in a yellow submarine. <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah. having a terrible time. Yeah. It's just like the father with Anthony Hopkins, but with Paul McCartney. I didn't oh, see stormy that one. leaves. I didn't see it's, that movie. You know, it's, it's it's fucked up, dude. It's it's good. Um, it's what's up. it about? He's like losing his uh, mind. He's all, it's about a guy with alts. It's an intimate portrayal about a family struggle to uh, keep supporting their father with Alzheimer's, and it's very sympathetic. To uh, who? The father? To everyone involved? To everyone? Is yeah, it, who's, you okay. know, sometimes Break you, it know, down. you can't... Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? This Okay, the good guy is humanity. The mm. bad guy is Alzheimer's. <laughs> okay, so Alzheimer's is like... A, is like uh, in terms of, like, who would Alzheimer's be in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Uh, he would be sort of like Killmonger. Like, he's bad, but you get his point, you know? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Black Widow came out. Oh, great. I cannot wait to see it. Every, everyone's favorite character, Black Widow. There's so much characterization in those movies and that so she has, you know. What's her deal? My guess is that she kills all of her husbands? No. Oh. Surprising. No, she's just very strong. Oh. There's no, <laughs> hus she's no, there's no like, she's husband. She's not a husband. She doesn't eat her husbands, no. Why is she a widow? Because uh, it's a spooky spider, and that's and oh. it's a woman. So she's she a woman, is a Black know. Widow spider human. So she's like Spider-Man. No, she, yeah, she was bitten by a Black Widow spider, and now she has the powers of a Black Widow, so she eats men to gain power. That would be a much better character, actually. Is there anything related to a spider in it? She has the same—her She her symbol is the 
a sign that a black widow has on the back, sort of like a red hourglass okay. shape. You know, she's a black widow because she's like a spider. She's like a super spy. She moves like a spider. But you is know, there, it's not a literal one to one. There's no real spider involved, though. She has a jar of black widows that she throws at. Okay, people so it's all like I, I enjoy the aesthetic of a black widow spider. Yeah, it's not actually taking the power. She doesn't have like poison that she uses. No, I, they should they should give her some poison. I feel Maybe, like a do black soup, widow spiders shoot poison. A soup, it's probably venom. Well, they have they have something when they bite you, you die. I mean, I feel like a superhero and their name should have a tie beyond outfit. Right, like uh, like Iron Man. Well, his suit's not made of armor anymore. It's made of some weird substance. Yeah. He should he should go back to iron. You know, they should call him carbonadium alloy man would sound stupid you know mm. rich guy what's uh, <laughs> i'm rich guy i'm rich physicist i guess marvel has more superheroes that don't conform to their superhero name like who's mr fantastic you know he should be called he should be called stretch penis man because he could stretch his penis a very long distance but so Not many of like them that. do. It's just, it's like Wolverine has got like some kind of claw thing. Yeah. Um. Who's another? Spider Man's got spider stuff. Uh. There was originally in the creation of Wolverine. Um. Uh. He was an or a potential origin story floated around for him was that he was a mutated Wolverine. Yeah. Like he they literally injected like human DNA into him and he turned into a man Wolverine. See, Spider-Man makes sense because he was bitten by a radioactive spider. He does have spider powers. That's a one-to-one ratio. Wolverine, you know, he's aggressive and he's small, and that's why he's, oh, he's a Wolverine. Sm- he's small? He's five foot three. Wolverine canonically is like five three. He's Joe Rogan-sized. Yeah, he's, he's bite-sized. Yeah. That's funny. But he's scrappy, which is why people balked at the Jackman Wolverine because, you know, Hugh Jackman. He's huge Ackman, you know. Yeah, he's like six <laughs> feet tall, but... It's not he's not a small bean. He's That's who the, the next Wolverine they should they should go out of their way to cast a really small bean. Hmm. Yeah. A small I mean it could be Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah. Why, why not? He's too old. He can't grow into the role. Well, yeah, I guess they want to they want a younger guy. They want a young probably. guy. Yeah, get a young Wolverine. You don't want to make the mistake the Bond people made where they picked the already old guy. Well, Daniel Craig, they got they rung six movies out of him or yeah, but whatever. I feel like they they wanted more and now they can't. Mm. We get a new Bond. Get get like a sexy, different type of. Get a lady Bond. They should get you know, um. Get a trans Bond. Everyone would love a trans Bond. What do you mean a trans? Like a, a like trans James actor? Bond, but trans. So you got to clarify is James Bond in the universe of James Bond trans or they just get a trans man to play James Bond and act like in the movie uh, they're just like this is James Bond No it's a, it, uh, it it could be a trans man or a trans woman doesn't matter <laughs> whichever upsets the most englanders okay. whichever upsets the most people from the UK The reason England lost the Euro Cup was at halftime they announced James Bond would be a trans man, mm-hmm. but played by a trans woman. There you go. Philosophy Tube. <laughs> place. Philosophy Tube has a great podcast about James Bond, uh, along with uh, Alice 
and Devin, two other podcasting people I like, Kill James Bond. It stands in stark contrast to the opinions about James Bond from another weird podcast guy that I like. You know about Lex G? Nope. He's an old crank movie reviewer. He's like from Gen X, and he was uh, recommended by a lot of people on film Twitter. And he's really good, Lex G. But the other thing about him is he's also like uh, kind of a loser, and he he does a lot of like posting about how much of a loser he is on Twitter, at least until he, he shit-canned his Twitter a while back. But he like, what drove him insane was the fact that uh, Chris Stuckman, you know Chris Stuckman? No. He's this very popular YouTube film critic who just has this... He's he's like uh he's got a himbo face and he has very middle of the road opinions about movies and he's like uh uh you know we'll go to bat for Marvel cinema you know very very normy excessively normy movie reviewer big fan base of you know young people that like him for his looks and justifies their love of pop culture uh very easy to like sell shit through this type of film critic as well because you know he'll go to bat for the big corporate movies. Uh, nothing wrong with it. He seems like a, he's fine, and you know, uh, there's a there's a role for people like him. But Lex G, who's this you know like 48 year old guy who's been in Hollywood, he, he moved to L.A. when he was like 20 to try and you know make his rounds in the film industry, and you know, right now he just has like a dead end job at a production house, and he's like utterly convinced that he is knows more about movies than anybody else and it's uh, fundamentally unfair that you know he shouldn't have at least as much of a say in film as chris stuckman as himbo chris stuckman and to some degree he's correct but it's also just like um uh, i maybe i'll feel this way when i'm older too maybe i'll feel this more acutely like as i've wasted my life but it's like weird fixating on other people's success that's always going to drive you mad you know i don't think it's a recipe for happiness to want to both be like to to want to be like a famous film critic not like a famous but he he just wanted more in his he wanted more that he didn't get um like at least being well respected he's also sort of erratic and weird um but he is kind of uh to this uh he's kind of great he is kind of a genius his podcast is incredibly listenable uh his takes are very good about movies he's got uh lots of unique insights i rec i highly recommend his podcast the lex g movie podcast i don't know if it's gonna air anymore because he seems to have been having a rough go at it lately but uh what what there is you know he does these lightning rounds these rundowns of like film critics like spike lee and Arnold Schwarzenegger and goes through all their movies and gives takes on them. And uh, he was there too. So he's like, he's like this Gen X guy giving these takes on it. So he saw these movies opening day. So he has that insight as well. Oh, so is, that you know, counts as being there. It's his lived experience. <laughs> I was <you> know? there. <laughs> he was there. But, but you know, it's interesting because I think, um, uh, he offered a lot of his movie reviews are informed by, his personal experience and personal narrative of it, which like a lot of people leave that out of their movie reviews. And I, I sort of like that because, you know, it's impossible to divorce your criticism from your uh, personal life. So I like when people sort of go into how they experienced the movie uh, as well as the content of the movie and, you know, what in their life uh, makes them like that. We need to ban 
critical film theory from our schools. <laughs> yeah, we could, we should only like movies, only enjoy movies. You can't interpret the movie based on the personal experiences of the filmmaker or the actors or anybody involved. It's all based on the movie as it is and nothing about the backgrounds of Tommy Wiseau or anybody should inform. So you're doing annihilation of the author. Fuck death of the author. There are no authors. Movies just come out of the ether. Once you create a piece of art, it doesn't matter who the author is. It's not yours anymore. You don't have any control over it. We've invented intellectual property laws that make pretend that you do. But once the art is out there, it's out there to be interpreted. That's why I think uh, it should be illegal. Now, I've totally changed. I'm on your side now. I think it should be illegal for artists to sign their work. There you go. (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah. No art should be attributed to anyone. Well, that's that is something that I do that I have a philosophy about, even though it's it's half baked. But, yeah, whenever I do cartoons, as as uh, Stephen said, I don't sign them, which is madness, you know, because you want people to be able to find your shit. You want uh, some sense of ownership over it. I have like two reasons uh, why I don't do that. One, um, I feel like. For some reason, it's this something that sticks in me. It's totally irrational, but I always feel like signatures upset the aesthetic integrity of a piece of art. It's just you're in the world of the art, and then you're taken out of it by the fact that there's something in the corner, little detail that, oh, this is, I know this is, this is fake now. This little signature has alerted me to the fact that I'm living in this fantasy world. So there, it's like it, it, it ruins the suspension of disbelief of the work in general. In my view, I know this is totally ir- irrational, so you don't have to point it out to me, but I'm telling you why. I'm telling you, the listener, why. Um, and also, I mean, also for your for your reason, which is like uh, all, all art is memes. All artists, they mm. can't take ownership in the same way that a meme escapes you. And, and to some degree, that, that's what um, that's what happened to Matt Fury. Yeah, the creator of Pepe, right? You know, he created a piece of art, and it got away from him. Um, Well, yeah, he has retained, to a degree, some ownership and was able to sell a couple NFTs of Pepe for mm -hmm. bajillion dollars. Good for him. Yeah, good good for for him. him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Money's fake. Um, Yeah. I mean, I know that's not—you tell that to a poor person— but that's partially why it's so cruel that we have poor people. Yeah. Because we're not letting them have this fake thing. <laughs> like, no, you can't have my imaginary buckaroos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're printed by the full faith of the United States government. Mm-hmm. And they're worth what the government says they're worth, based on some complicated equations that we have with Saudi Arabia and oil. <laughs> uh that's why you can't have any. It's too complicated. It's six British guys in the LIBOR room deciding whether or not you get to keep your kidney this summer. We used to base it on, like, <laughs> whoever won the World Cup. <laughs> that, would be, that would be a funny a funny way to determine, like, who's the currency of the world is a sports event. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would make the Olympics a lot more necessary. 
that's for sure. Maybe we should do, maybe we should like make sports way more important. Like sports, we should. sports actually starts determining like government stuff and like. Act, well, maybe because, you know, uh, maybe it could supplant war. You know, maybe we just have sports instead of wars, you know. Well, right now, instead of war, what we have now is hacking each other. Yes. So instead of doing world wars, we're just like, like every month, it's like giant ransomware attack. All the meat companies can't access their files. And since they can't, they don't know how much to charge for bacon, they've stopped selling the meat. That's why we should start our own Luddite country uh, in the woods of the Pacific Northwest, where we never will run out of paper. That's it's all paper based paper society. Call it paperland. Um, yeah. Well, I would. Yeah, I would love to form a new country. Uh, a mistresses. A mistresses. A mistresses. A mistresses. That's the name of the country. A mistresses. What? What's uh, the name what of the country in Full country? Metal Alchemist? It's a mistress. <laughs> oh, I don't remember. It's, it's a mistress, not a mistresses. I think it's just a mistress. A mistress. You've been watching FMA? Amesutorisu. Amesutorisu. Yeah. Yeah, I've been watching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Good show. I am almost done. I'm in the... I'm in season five, episode five. So I'm almost done with it. Are you feeling like a homunculus? Yeah, I recommend that show more than Hunter Hunter. Yeah, it's... uh, I mean... Uh, that's not controversial. Full Metal Alchemist is often cited as the best anime of all time. Often wow. the one that you recommend to people first if they're wary about anime. Oh, okay. And you're like, no, it's actually good. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a tight little plot. Tight little <laughs> plot you got there. Mm. Mm. Just a taut little plot. Just, you know, ugh, keyed up like a drum. Keyed up like a snare drum. You well, know? I was looking to see if there are any video games based on Full Metal Alchemist, and there are. Lots of them. But they look all bad. All of them are bad. Yeah. They're, they're it, like, the big mainstream Shonen series don't get great games, usually, for some reason. Like, Naruto has a million interchangeable fighters. One Piece has never had a great game. I even have a One Piece game because I'm such a fucking gigantic One Piece idiot. Uh, I got the One Piece clone of Dynasty Warriors. It sucks. I don't... <laughs> wow. And, um, I mean, it's fine. I played it. I played it to, to completion because That's I'm a, a I, don't, I haven't finished a game in, in perhaps 31 years. You don't, you don't finish games? I don't think I've ever finishing? finished a game. Uh, I, I'm not huge. The, the, the game that I'm playing right now that I've been playing for the last two weeks that I've been obsessed with is Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 plus 2 for Nintendo Switch. And I mean, I mean, it, it, there's a reason the, the primary reason why I'm probably enjoying it so much is pure unfettered nostalgia. Uh, it's got the same soundtrack. It has, a, it has. Uh, yeah, it has all the all basically all the songs from the original games plus like a bunch more. So I'm finding out about all these great new youth artists because of the Tony Hawk's Wow, Skater yeah, like uh, gor- soundtrack. Gorilla Radio is a good song. Gorilla Radio is a fucking incredible. No, I mean the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater soundtracks definitely probably are hugely responsible for my taste in music. 
or like other other games of that era like copycat games too like uh different other skateboard games always had just kick-ass soundtracks of licensed music i think there was a clone of the game uh called like skate or something i don't know what it was called but um on the soundtrack it had jurassic 5 and dr octagon that's where i first found out about dr octagon from the soundtracks of skateboarding games and no from tony hawk one that's where i found out about um like i knew primus from south park but i didn't know how good primus was until i heard jerry was a race car driver and you hear that bass riff and it goes so well with the skateboarding you're like and you're like ooh, i'm 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 eight years old what's this this yeah. is this is funky it, it is different it is where i first heard rage against the machine um, yeah yeah gorilla radio is very prominently so. featured it it's it has the the greatest rap rock song of all time in it the anthrax uh public enemy bring the noise <laughs> Uh, that song kicks so much fucking ass. I wish all rap rock was that good. Anthrax in general, though, is not really very good. No, they're the silliest of the big four thrash bands, and they're the only New Yorkers, which is also funny. They're they're the... um, I would also call them, uh, the Jewiest of them all. (laughs) There's this very, um, I don't know, Jewish sense of humor in Anthrax. I don't know why I find that. I love a lot of anthrax. I love Cotton Amash. I love Indians. That's a very funny song. Oh, you're trying to be woke. <laughs> you're trying to be good, but you're doing it wrong. But that's great. That's what makes it good. Yeah, that's what Cotton Amash too is also like about an anti-racist theming. Yeah, they they're definitely the most I mean, what's also what that's what's so weird about Megadeth is like how at odds the lyrics are with Dave Mustaine's actual beliefs. Like, because if you just read the lyrics of Megadeth, it's like they're very anti-war, anti-imperialist, you could say. Like, that that's pretty much, you know, if you if you read um, like P-Cells, Who's Buying or, you know, uh, what's the uh, Holy Wars, The Punishment Do? Is that the one that opens up Rust and Peace? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so... But, but I guess, you know, it's it's he, not... He has an evolution that occurs across the albums. Um, he started off more idealistic and then becomes more cynical as mm. he goes through, I think. Mm. Um, but now he's insane. He's a Christian. He's a theocrat. I don't... Uh, oh, like really? I haven't... I really haven't kept up at all. They He hired like a kind of annoying um, guitar player... Kiko mm-hmm. Lureru or something, Kiko Lureru. Uh and I, I don't, I don't like their sound. A lot. The problem with metal um, these days is the production is really bad. Um, like it's, this has even happened to uh, Meshuga. It's, it's kind of sad. Like the past two Meshuga albums have been horribly produced, in my opinion. Mm. And same thing with is Megadeth. it all like tinny and like so compressed it's, that it, well, it's it not like... necessarily tinny. Like the Meshuggah M- stuff's not tinny at all. It's mm. it's extremely bass heavy. But the, yeah, yeah, the compression is there's no dynamics. There's, okay. They have forsaken dynamics completely. So it is all it's, the same volume. Yeah, the wave the waveform for this is just a gigantic yep. bar. Just a, a bar, pretty much. Yeah. And even that's, the quiet parts. Like I don't even I don't know if that's occurring at the mastering point or before but uh 
the the new Megadeth stuff is like that, and it's annoying. You can hear it too. Like, there's this band I found out about called the House of Love. That's really of good. Love. But mm -hmm. um, their second or third album is just like destroyed by the production. It's very disappointing. And mm -hmm. it was like in the mid '90s, right when the loudness wars were starting. The, uh, loud, I, the loudness. Yeah, wars. that's what they're called. It's the loudness no, wars because I know every time I, I you just... bump the dB by 0.5, it was like statistically shown that more people would stay listening to that song. Like a song that's 0.5 dB louder, you'll get people to keep listening more. And so, the the labels were like, "Turn up your mixes, everyone!" And then mm -hmm. like, "We got to compete. Turn up your mixes. Everyone's turning them up." And then you get a. You get no dynamics, and um, it's very annoying. Yeah. It doesn't... You do not have the same organic sounds as recordings from the pre-Loudness War area. Yeah, and, and you know. I use a music player now um, called Fubar, where, and I have it set up with, like, a custom skin, and it's really <laughs> cool because at the bottom it shows me the waveform of the entire song, uh -huh. uh, any song I've selected, and I can see, I can see if... It's uh, been mastered poorly. Would you... I mean, I like... Uh, whenever I do my shitty, shitty recording, like, I always push... Even the loudness where influences me, I always push my shit beyond what it sounds like to the point where it's clipping digitally. But I even... Like, even me, with my refined tastes, I've been conditioned to think that loud is better. Or, I mean, at least... Because that's the problem. Because if you... Mix a song like how it should be mixed, like where uh, the dynamics are very, very like I, I guess the only place where you can really hear that now and not the only place, but like a place where you can hear that consistently in recorded music is in the recording of classical music. Like there's no like loudness war. And maybe there is. That'd be funny to think about. I know? heard somewhere that it was starting to affect classical recordings, but I don't know because I don't really keep up with the current classical recordings. Yeah, but I mean, even when I like listen to like uh, uh, Beethoven Seventh on on YouTube or whatever, the generic recording they have of that, you can like barely hear the cellos at the beginning because when it gets really intense in the middle, when all the instrumentation comes in, it gets really fucking loud. So almost by virtue of the fact that an orchestral instru instrumentation is more varied. and But that's also, you know, uh, I think the idea of d dynamics as being the mm -hmm. soul of music is more inherent to classical well, music as well than pop music. Let me tell you about something you may not know about that's very crazy a development that's occurring that they're not really telling people about. And this what isn't. A, th this isn't a no one will tell you this. Th well, no, this, this is isn't a, a conspiracy. But it, if you've bought, a, <laughs> if you've purchased a car in the past five years, it's very likely that without your knowledge, there is a setting on that is applying compression and boosting the signal when you speed up. <laughs> That's cool. Um, and That's awesome. Like it, it was in my 2019 Subaru. Uh, I turned that shit off. Because I don't want anything adding extra compression and boosting the signal, like, unless I want to do that. Uh, it's mm -hmm. obviously they have it so that your music gets louder when you speed up to compensate for road noise. And, like, whenever my dad was playing classical music, I was on volume duty, which means he would direct me to turn it up during the choir parts and then direct me to turn it down. <laughs> <then> like, <laughs> like, I'm like... 
you know, got my hand up on the dash, like ready yeah, to take yeah. orders. Because, yes, that music is very dynamic and has almost no loudness equalization, which you could use a little bit of um, yeah. for cars. Uh, but check your car for that setting if you have a more recent car. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think philosophically, I, I, I think I'm with you. I do lament the lack of dynamics in music now. I, I do think to some degree uh, the, the old aestheticians are correct when they say, you know, music, you only have a certain number of vectors, right? And so loud and quiet is one of the big ones. So <laughs> the fact that you're just totally eschewing that entirely, kind of sad. You've eliminated one of the big options you have as a composer. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you're, you can keep that and still be engaged in the loudness war. Um, yeah. Like, if the dynamics are explicitly composed into the song, then it, you, you still have that. You're, you're mm -hmm. you know... It's more, I think, like the mastering. And, mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that I don't think lo loudness is being used as much in that way in general by composers, like pop composers. Um, yeah. And because, like, just also with a distorted guitar, that that's already a like a very non-dynamic signal. It's already a pretty blocky signal compared to mm -hmm. other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, is uh, do you, I haven't listened to any modern modern hip hop music. I can't think if it's terribly dynamic or not. Um, I can't think of it if it mm. terribly varies up. I mean, I was listening to Logic. Um, you want that's that's a weird example of modern. Logic is sort of his own thing, but yeah, isn't no? Well, I don't know. I I think it might actually be fairly typical of like if we want if we want to find a middle of the road rapper, right? Yeah, but he's sort of like in when I think of modern rap music, I'm still to some degree thinking of like SoundCloud rappers who are doing like. I'm thinking of guys like Lil Xan, I guess. I mean, or SoundCloud like, rappers are probably, like, turning up the volume until it starts to sound yeah. bad and then backing it off slightly. Because you have... That's, well, cause, uh, <laughs> that's what they a do. Feature, yeah, a feature of hip-hop music has just been insane sub-bass for a while as well, which, you know, if you're mixing it as a cloud rapper will always result in the big amplitudes. I heard a really interesting rap song. I wish I could remember the name, but I can describe the the effect of, you know when you hear a sub bass in a car that's like mm -hmm. not built for it and so all you yeah. really hear is the vibration of the car? Yeah. Somehow a producer had captured that sound. Oh. And used it as the kick drum. So ah. it gives the feeling it evoked a feeling in me of seeing one of these cars outfitted with an insane subwoofer that sounds like like um like a piece of plywood like flapping against the side of a tin roof during a hurricane you know mm -hmm. that's basically yeah, the sound yeah yeah it's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so i was like a real world aesthetic um being used back in like like you know Uroboro seeing itself um i like really crazy sounding kick drums i've i downloaded an early aphex twin album and he mm. uses a lot of very crazy kicks 
like kicks that are just like the sound effect. Yeah, kick like a, like a kick sound. That's like, it's like a like a some like a cat being tortured. Like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is a nice percussive sound. Uh, Richard D. James is from the West Country, isn't he? So he's like, hey, I'm making my tunes here. He's from I'm Cornwall. I'm making my samples and I'm making my tunes. I think, is it Cornwall where you're saying? He's from Cornwall. Yeah. It's me, Richard D. James, and know. I'm having a great time with me samples. Having a great time with me IDM, although I balk at the term IDM. <laughs> How do you know this? Is, that's exactly what the Wikipedia says. Have you memorized the, this Wikipedia? No, is that that's I don't know what do yes, I know about. Yes, that's like reading? exactly what it, it's it's about his weird attitude, which you did with your voice, that he lives in Cornwall and that he balks at the term idea. That's all I know. I mean, I know his music because his music <laughs> is great, and I've watched a lot of uh, Adam Curtis documentaries. Uh, and Adam Curtis loves his Aphex Twin. Yeah, Aphex Twin was sort of thought of to be like a genius on the level of Mozart by really by certain thirteen and fourteen year olds. But by you? <laughs> no, not by me. I was always okay. a little bit skeptical, but like kind of interested. Um, I don't know, like the like the whoever was writing for Pitchfork in from the year two thousand and two to like or maybe nineteen ninety nine to two thousand and five. I mean, sure, you could call him a genius. Like I'm not. I'm not so married to Mozart that I'm like, oh, he's the fucking greatest genius composer of all time. Like, he's not he's not in my top ten classical boys. I mean, Mozart, what? Love, a lot of great Mozart's stuff. Mozart's not in your top ten classical boys? List your no, top I mean, ten classical boys right now. Okay, let's get it. Okay. <laughs> top ten classical boys episode. Uh, um, <laughs> no, let's do it. Top ten classical boys. This is perfect. Um, I mean, a lot of them are modern guys, right? Ah. Uh. Um, Oh, just just burn me with a with a fiery brand of shame. You like a lot of these guys, probably. I imagine. Are you gonna a lot of Eastern who, European guys? Oh no, no, no. I you mean, like sure. Them. I don't know. The once you start getting into like multiple different kinds of tonalities, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a Bach evangelist. Oh, Bach is on there. He's in the top. He's in my top ten guys. He does. He comes up in the middle of the list. You can't be doing more than twelve tones. Just explore the twelve tones we have. Not a not a micro mi- micro tonality <laughs> fan. <laughs> who's not who a fan of go- like mid sharps? Not a fan of like uh, George Crumb, Milton Babbitt. None of the music that's done it has that's used it. I felt has used it in a way that feels compelling enough to continue using it, but. Yeah. Maybe I'm, maybe that's my problem. Okay, so my top ten guys. Let's start off with uh, John Cage, number one. Oh wow, N- number wait, you mean number ten or number one? Number one. Okay, I guess I should start from number ten. Spoilers: number one is John Cage. <laughs> uh, Not even a classical guy. What are you talking about? He is a classic. He's he's like considered part of that uh, continuum of Western art music that you know worms its way into academies. Okay, so number 10 is Mendelssohn. I say Mendelssohn is like a great straight-ahead composer, uh, wonderful Felix Mendelssohn. Uh, I sort of, there, he has an interesting biography in that he's a lapsed Jew and that he renounced his Judaism, sort of hmm. similar to Karl Marx. Interestingly, uh, Mendelssohn is also the name of the thoroughbred racehorse who won the 2017 Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf competition mm. mm-hmm. there you go 
But Felix Mendelssohn, what was his most famous piece? Let's find uh, out. Probably the one I used for our Eve Bartlow's epi- Eve Bartlow episode, the oh. Hebrides Overture. Oh, okay. Heber- Hebrides? Hebrides. Hebrides. Is that an Hebrides. island? Hebrides. That's uh, islands off the coast of Scotland. Really? And Fingal's Cave is a you anyone could hear na 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 na. Everyone's heard that one. So but they he are also islands. composed. Oh, well, he also composed what I think is the most beautiful Christmas carol of all time. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Wonderful song. Wait, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> the most beautiful Christmas carol was written. In America, in between 1930 and 1950, I'm sure of it. Uh, but I just have to think of it. I, Dean Martin sang it. Um, there's nothing like, like a pizza Christmas. on Christmas. There's nothing like a pizza on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's nothing like a pizza on Christmas. Yeah. Getting sauce all over your presents. Uh have a mozzarella when you're getting lots of hell from your family after you've unraveled your presence. That's <laughs> controversial at the time. Uh, all right, Mendelssohn. Okay. Mendelssohn, number 10. Um, nine, got to go with my boy, got to go with my boy Chopin. Okay, Chopin, the butt of interminable jokes about lists and such, <laughs> who I assume will come come on later. Mr. List. List. No, I'm not. List is not coming on later. List. You know, because he's sort of associated with List in that they were both uh, romantic era piano prodigies. They were both like known for their virtuosic uh, piano stylings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, for uh, Chopin, Chopin hits harder for me. I don't know. I don't know why. Um, I think because List is. You know, no, I do know why, because Chopin is more gestural and is more emotional, while Liszt is, like, really wants to show off his piano chops. Yeah. Liszt is very much more, like, um, uh, much more of an Ingve Malmsteen to uh, Chopin's Eddie Van Halen. Oh, yeah. Whereas Chopin kind of reminds me of John Mouse a little bit. <laughs> He's a reactionary? He looks like John Mouse, and he dresses <laughs> like John Mouse. He, he looks like, like tortured. Boy. Um, all right, uh, let's see, number eight, gotta go with Ligeti, gotta go with oh. Gregory Liddick. Oh, you're getting too modern and complicated now. Oh, everyone can appreciate Ligeti. Ligeti Split. Ligeti Split, yeah, but everyone knows, everyone likes 2001 A Space Odyssey, everyone likes Lux Eterna. That's not all true, right. I don't like that movie and I haven't you don't seen like, it. You don't like dense vocal clusters? I, I've put on 2001 A Space Odyssey in my life two times and fallen asleep both times <laughs> well you don't like 2001 a space odyssey i fall asleep when i try to watch it you don't like you don't like 2001 how listen i want to watch it but I, my brain turns off mm. like boom sorry Bam. sorry steven i can't let you watch that mm. i'm sorry steven i'm closing your eyes <laughs> that's what happens <laughs> um all right, so, but yeah, Grigory Ligeti, he was, uh, uh, I forget his nationality. I want to say Hungarian, but that's probably wrong. Um, but he, uh, uh, but yeah, his music, he was known for, like, dense choral work and also, like, um, I think it's called uh, uh, Ricercata, 
or something like that. Uh, but piano pieces that start out like deceptively simple, like uh, or like weird exercises where he'll only use one note, but the the rhythmic patterns become repetitious and uh, increasing, uh, and uh, until they're very complicated. So, um, and there's a weird simplicity to them as well, which is very, uh, very intriguing. I like it a lot. Ligeti. Cool guy. Cool guy. Um, and then we're going to get to one of your boys. We're going to get to J.S. Bach now. Mr. Bach. Mr. Batch. Mr. Batch. Um, Probably the most important one ever. He, yeah, I mean, yeah, he is definitely, if this were a list of most influential composers, it would, Bach is number one, no doubt, um, in terms of Western art music, because every, every bit of harmony, every bit of Western harmony was sort of, uh, innovated by him, uh, you can just listen to the, like, if you want to hear all of Western music, all of, like, European-derived music in one piece, Listen to the well-tempered clavier. Would you, you know, say just, that Bach is like the Bob Dylan of classical music? Um, I'd say he's more like um, I'd say he's more like the Fats Domino. Uh, uh -huh. He's he's more foundational. He's more utterly found. Like um, I would say, like Beethoven is probably, if you were drawing comparisons, Beethoven wow. is probably the Bob Dylan. of Beethoven classical music. is the Bob Dylan of classical music. You yeah. heard it here first, folks. I like that a lot. I might get that, put it on my uh, social media. I'll Tattoo put it out it there. on your chest. Might Tattoo it, it on your penis. Might put it out there. Might put it on my foreskin and then cut off the foreskin and then it fly it from the back of an airplane. There you go. Stretch it out. <laughs> stretch it out. Stretch that <laughs> until it's flubbing like a windsock in the wind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just stretch it out my foreskins here. Well, I'm a big um, fan of a cantata. Big fan of a cantata? Yeah. Um, there's a, I read an interesting um, New Yorker article on one of the early, like, Renaissance composers, a French guy, and now his name is... Uh, is it Lully? L-U-L-L-Y? No, I'll, we'll have to come back. We'll circle back. I'm going to do a little searching. Those early guys are weird, like... Um, uh, but man, I'm blanking on all their names. But yeah, English, English. There aren't a ton of English classical composers, famed English classical composers. Like the, they're mostly German and French and uh, Italian and uh, Jos Spanish. Josquin de Prez. Oh, Joaquin de Pre. De Pre is it De Pre? De, de Pre, yeah. Josquin de Pre. Hey, okay, okay. There you go. Josquin with the the S is not silent. I think it's Joaquin. Um, it's so well. One of the interesting things is they're trying to get attribution, and mm. um, he was French, so it's probably like I don't know if the S was pronounced or not, but he, he would sign his name in different ways, and like they have all these different J names that they think are the same guy. So the mm -hmm. like the ability to attribute actual pieces to him is very difficult like they've been whittling it down it used to be about a hundred and now we're down to like we only think there's really 30 pieces we have by him that were actually composed by him because mm, he was so popular that ev that um other composers would just to get their piece played would just sign his name so that someone would play it um, that's pretty cool i'm gonna make a song and then say it's a new kanye song and yeah. then 
I'm just gonna pitch up a soul sample and then go <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Actually, I guess he does gospel now. That's not what he that. That's a joke is from a like ten years old because he was doing that ten years ago. He's not doing that now. Uh, uh, number six, Hector Berlioz. Hector Berlioz. Didn't um, he have weird political beliefs? He was, in general, um, probably has one of the inter- most interesting biographies of any composer because he was an insane person. He mm-hmm. was he like moved to a different country in order to impress a lady. Then she rejected him and he decided to kill himself with poison, but then got distracted and then just ended up living in that country for another couple of years. <laughs> like he was a, just sort of a mercurial, strange dude, you know, always on the brink of poverty. Um, what also makes him interesting is that he is the only well-known classical composer that was a guitarist, uh, which makes his orchestrations more bad. metal make more, no, more bad no, they, they're more bad <laughs> they're worse well, what, they're worse they're much worse no they're they're um different from his contemporaries because the instinct for like a pianist is to orchestrate in thirds whereas the instinct for um uh, the instinct for a guitarist is to orchestrate in fifths and fourths because that's how a guitar is arranged in yeah and you want to do things the lazy way so as many open chords as possible yeah well that's what berlioz would do that separated him a lot from his contemporaries was a lot more power chords okay guys everything is in e and you're like (laughs) ah the piano player just like it's like damn it why isn't it an a or c (laughs) well give me the easy chords give me the easy chords berlioz give me the easy okay well i i know i didn't like berlioz when i listened to him but maybe I'm just an idiot. You don't. You don't have to like it. These. These are just my. These are just my guys. Oh well, I don't have a list ready. I don't have a list ready. I'm just going off the dome right now. Okay. Uh, five Olivier Messiaen. Uh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. An- another the another French impressionist will appear. There's lots of great French impressionists. Uh, don't Debussy. people say it's him or Mahler? You choose one or the other. You can't choose both. Really? I mean, I choose Messian for sure because Mahler sucks. Mahler's wow, you like just made some machine. enemies. You just made some big enemies. Uh, <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't want to be you right <laughs> big now. Mahler heads. I w- <laughs> hey man, I w- just wouldn't want to be you right now. That's all I gotta say. There's a joke in Frasier where, <laughs> uh, you know, Niles was thinking about divorcing. Uh, Maris, and he's reminiscing. He doesn't want to do it. And he says, I remember our Saturdays here, me playing Mahler on the piano. Mm-hmm. And Frazier says, well, that's great, Niles, but you hate Mahler. Besides Maris, who likes Mahler? Uh, that's funny. Well, I, I like Maris. I like her. Sure, yeah, everyone... Everyone likes Maris. Everyone is a huge... Who is your favorite Frazier character? Uh, Maris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Messian is great. Uh, Messian was a huge Catholic crank. Um, and in the same way with like a lot of like modernist French guys uh, that were contemporaries, the same with like the film theorist Andre Bazin, a lot of the uh, his great moments come out of reconciling his Catholicism with his more avant-garde uh, sensibilities. Uh, but in the same way that Andre Bazin saw the image of God in in film you know he saw uh, as they say in waking life as as weird weird filmmaker guy coffee's ahead he says in waking life 
uh, <laughs> he, he sought to capture the holy moment in film. And in the same way, uh, using modernist techniques of sort of um, understanding God's creation, he, he could understand God's creation better by using these modernist developments in music. Uh, none of which is clearer in, you know, his his bird pieces where he sought to mimic the uh, the bird calls that he heard around him and to to great effect, too. Like they really uh, his orchestrations really do end up sounding like bird calls. Yeah. Mimicking animals is a is a sign of insanity. <laughs> just wanna, so? Yeah, it's a, not a sign of uh, appreciating the holy beauty of the world around us. No, he should have been committed and. Pen and paper should have been withheld. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a sign of insanity. A well-ordered society would have no messy ends. No messy ends. <laughs> Are you messy in your pants right now? <laughs> I would have prohibited such music from being disseminated. Um, uh, uh, four? Number four. Uh, we have Bella Bartok. Oh. Another modernist guy. Um, there now there's a modern, I always get these guys confused cause there's like a modern banjo player with like also <laughs> same guy or not same guy. It's Bella Fleck. Okay. And that's uh, you're thinking different. Of, the thing with Bella Fleck is, yeah, Bella Fleck actually, you know, he spent all his banjo money taking care of his mom and then he eventually, you know, he started working as a clown business and, you know, he got a gun and he eventually went on the Robert De Niro show, and that's how Bella Fleck became, you know, the Bella Joker. Because, you know, the character in the Joker is called Arthur Fleck. So it's Whoa. Alien, but instead it's Bella Fleck. That's crazy. He's I the never banjo thought of Joker. that. So yeah, Arthur no, Fleck and Bella Fleck and Bella Bartok. Same guy. Same. All the same guy. <laughs> it's jo the Joker. So when you Twisted. think of it, Bella Bartok is really the Joker of classical music. Right. Uh, I think he... when I hear Bella Bartok, my first my first reaction is like, "Ooh, he had some weird relationships." I bet he had I bet he had problems in his relationship life. Uh, actually, no, he was pretty normal. He he had like a, a wife that he stuck to for uh, oh, a really? while. Really? Boring. Yeah. Wow. Well, why uh, did I have the uh, impression that he was like a freak in the sack? Uh, uh, he, I don't know. He might've been a freak in the sack, but he was definitely a monogamous guy. He was, he, hmm. he was actually one of the less, one of the less rowdy, one of the less fuck rowdy, uh, composers out there. Sort hmm. of like a diminutive nerd with like a, a sharp sense of humor. That was sort of his thing. Well, I got him completely wrong. I'll have to put him on my list to check out because uh, I thought he was like a Bach was a fuck beast. He had eighteen. <laughs> he had like twenty five kids. Hector a... Berlioz is more like that. He's sort of that type of guy who who had like a crazy fuck. So uh, the banjo playing adulterer is is um someone else. All right. The banjo playing adulterer is that guy from Mumford and Sons. Whoa. <laughs> No, I don't know if he's an adulterer, but he is an alt-right guy. Not an alt-right guy. He's like, what is he? He's something stupid. Who is? What? The Mumford uh, guy? Oh, you know, uh, the guy from Mumford, the banjo player from mm -hmm. Mumford yeah, and Sons. We covered is like it. a, a right-wing crank. Yeah. I mean, he was, who Who knows what he is, but yeah. he's no longer the banjo player from Mumford and Sons. But Bella Bartok, <laughs> his concerto for orchestra, is incredibly beautiful. Oh, he had a cantata. He did. Wow. He had uh, also the problematically named uh, uh, and themed Miraculous Mandarin, uh, but the music of which is very good. Oh, the one about the, the fruit or the person? 
It's it's about the Marvel character, the Mandarin. Oh, there's he a wrote, Marvel character was, called the Mandarin. Yeah, you you never you never uh, yeah he was Iron Man's major villain actually, and in Iron Man three, Shane Black wrote him to be uh, Ben Kingsley as like this foppish actor mm. playing the Mandarin in order because. In the original Iron Man, it was just a racist thing. It was just a Chinese man with a Fu Manchu mustache who had magic rings. And he was Iron Man's enemy. He was the Mandarin. Yikes. Um, well, actually, you know, that's another huge problem of Iron Man 2 is because Iron Man was inherently built to be a symbol of American capitalism. And uh, it was sort of like Stan Lee in his original attempt to build Iron Man. Just, I wanted to see if I could get kids to root for capitalism. <laughs> and uh, so Mandarin as this, um, you know, red Chinese coded uh, villain sort of, uh, you know, well, well, problematic there. But, you know, they, they made it work for these modern movies. Uh, so Bella Bartok is really good. Um, sort of this bridge between the world that existed before shit went crazy in the early 20th century with uh, 12-tone composing and uh, uh, other modernist techniques and sort of the the very, the huge expanding idea of what music could be, the, the fact that you had different instrumentation, the fact that you had synthesizers and sampling now entering works, and the fact that you had different uh, forms of notation and people pushing the boundaries of that. So Bartok sort of represents the apotheosis of the style before that which still you know incorporated techniques gleaned from other uh modernist guys like stravinsky but still very much in the mold of the old orchestra you know there aren't so many like weird extended techniques or uh reliance on different scale modalities in bartok it's very much still is within the milieu of uh of like a uh, Berlioz or Beethoven style orchestra, but just have a little, little bit of twentieth century spice, little be, bit of twentieth century spice. Be very careful it. because the language that you're using is what the uh, critical music theorists used to legitimize jazz back in the eighties, <laughs> uh, and the uh, academy has never recovered since. Now, Adorno would be so mad. Adorno would be so pissed off. Jazz music! The devil's jazz music! Adorno turning into the priest from Footloose and hearing jazz music. Uh, number three, gotta go with Satie. Gotta go with my boy Satie. Incredible. You know his gymnopedies. Number three, Satie. You know his sacrobans. You know his nociens. Uh, yeah. And, uh, Satie was great. He, he he took modernism, the idea of modernism, in a different route. Whereas a lot of his contemporaries were like, "How do we make music as complicated as possible? How do we make it sort of upsetting <laughs> and more difficult for the average listener to get into? How do we make it more academic?" Satie took it in, the, like, because the other branch of modernism, which becomes minimalism, which is practiced by guys like Philip Glass. Um, you know John Adams, and uh, you, you and which became very popular in movies throughout uh, guys like Clint Mansell as well. That has its beginnings in guys like Eric Satie, who is making music one that anyone could play, like one like uh, like uh, the first Gymnopedia is one of the first pieces that you know you'll learn on piano because it was inherently intended to be an educational piece 
while simultaneously being a beautiful composition. Well, and I really well, love that idea. He is not the first to make etudes. No, he's not the first to make etudes, but he's the first to make the idea that the etude could be the piece as well. You know, the the like the the fact that the music is not terribly technically advanced does not hinder the music, which is sort of a punk idea. Well, you know, it's a very I, you know think, in order to be a bit stupid. I know you say you weren't going to put Mozart on the list, but I think that's something Mozart did. Oh yeah. It was absolutely, but Mozart, even Mozart's simple stuff is like way more complicated than Satie's stuff, which was so Satie's piece like a stone cold idiot can play. <laughs> yeah, a fucking moron rube, a child birthed from the loins okay. of a, a green jelly beast, and this is that just the stupidest guy in the world can play. Stupidest guy in the world can play these gymnopedies. Okay. Cool. Um, well, that is a feat in itself. But that's also like the idea that um, this rejection of uh, as, as pieces get more complex, you see this mirrored. You saw this mirrored with punk as well. As rock music got more complex, you saw a rejection of it in punk as, you know, no, it's it's enough to just have this very simple expression of music. You can create something just as compelling uh, with a limited set of tools. And I think Eric Satie also reflects that in this reaction to uh, music getting more complicated. Do you really he think the reason... In the opposite direction. That's always been said, but do you really think music got too complicated in the 60s? And the <laughs> Not compli complicated, like, complicated not in terms of, like, harmonic structure, but in terms of the fact that you have guys like Greg Lake, you know, playing on a rotating disc while, like, a bunch of fire goes off and there's, like, a children's choir and, you know. What's hard for me to know, like... Got blo bloated might be a better word. Was culture, was that more important? Like, was the pop music really important? Because what some pop music, ha whatever happens now in music, it, it's not creating a new, like, we, we don't have that right now. We don't have any reactions to music forming an entire new genre. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of the last reaction, the, the, the genre that's a reaction to something. Um, like, uh, no, I, but that's because music is like way less prevalent as a director of culture than it was in the sixties because music mm. was the primary force of culture in the sixties. It's, yeah. uh, and in a way that it's just not anymore. I guess it's like, what is it now? Is this a social media or TV? Yeah. Or yeah. YouTube fucking YouTube. YouTube. Fucking video. Video did kill the radio star. Those bastards were right. There was, what? Oh, because like uh, they didn't even yeah. have TV in the 60s. Mm. Or did they? Yeah, they got TV yeah. in the 60s. They had those Jetsons TVs. Yeah. It's funny to me, in the Jetsons, the, the TVs are still like... They're not too... They're like, still not, CRTs. They're yeah. still, they're still uh, cathode boxes. ray tube TVs. A yeah. huge box TV. They yeah. couldn't, they couldn't they fathom. They didn't figure out either. plasma technology. Uh, mm -hmm. um, additionally, okay, so number two. Number two. We'll pass that to you. We got Stravinsky, who I alluded to before. Wow, but, The Rites of Spring, which is a punk album. Uh, <laughs> it's a punk band. Oh, right. The Punk emo, band. the first, the preternatural emo band well, they, started by Guy Picciotto. They probably had a self-titled album, so I was technically correct. 
Uh, they Brights of Spring had an album called Stravinsky. No, they didn't. But wouldn't wouldn't have that been cool? Wouldn't yeah. have that been a cool reference of them? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Rite of Spring used uh, for dinos, using for a big dino scene in Fantasia. That's where you might know it from. Uh, mm. Also, the Firebird Suite. Also, what Rite of Spring is known for is starting a riot uh, on its opening day. Good people. Also, similar to, you know, the scene in Walk Hard, Dewey Cox, where he's playing this very one bland rock music and people in the audience are throwing up and they're like it's the devil's music we had they're like punching each other it was sort of that reaction although the fire like i i get people rioting to write a spring because it's pretty it's pretty it gets pretty chunky it gets pretty metal in parts you it's know? chunky <laughs> it gets a little chunky in parts you know there's that um um uh, there's that sequence in it which is used in the dino battle in fantasia where um it has this incredibly dissonant chord that's sort of repeated over uh, this rhythmic pulsing that goes and it's like this this uh, flat ninth chord over like a sharp nine chord you know played simultaneously to get it's like this no one this chord no one had ever thought of this tone cluster before Stravinsky <laughs> this guy this guy was using clusters like my headaches let me tell you and um but you know that that if you want to you know have the key to all movie soundtracks you listen to stravinsky mm. every every guy from every movie soundtrack from bernard Herrmann uh to you know elmer bernstein uh to uh danny elfman it's all stravinsky they're all ripping off stravinsky um, that and that's sort of where idea our idea of modern expressive music comes from as well is 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 Stravinsky, uh, where music becomes not necessarily as melodic or melody becomes less the driving force but rather gesture, um, and I think that's uh, a lasting contribution uh, that still informs our idea of modern music where uh, not just melody but sound effect as well effect and uh timbre and tone become uh vectors in what you're allowed to use in composition and that's like some of the coolest innovations and discoveries of our boy stravinsky he also had a cantata there are so many cantatas (laughs) vagina cantata (laughs) i'm i went to music school and i forgot everything That's but now we know your number one, Mr. John, John Cage, Cage, who invented Cage. all kinds of things, all kinds of paradigms. Yeah. He was the first guy to be like, What if I ripped up a, a piece of paper and then sprinkled the pieces and then I and then that was the score? Yeah, you're talking about aleatoric music, you know, music or oh, lucky music. I call it lucky music. <laughs> hey, we're going to get lucky here. He would use the I Ching to compose shit exactly. like that. Exactly, yeah. Um, he was also known for... Um, yeah, a John Cage um, wrote the fucking coolest music on the planet. And I can't believe he did it Like at the time he was alive. It's just I can't believe he had all those ideas. At the most, was, normie, was, the most normie decade, the 50s. Yeah. So, so like as let's say Bartok is the last gasp of the classic orchestral form, and John Cage is the beautiful new paradigm that comes out of it. Um, and I list him as the greatest of all time just because he, we're still in his world. Like the milieu of 
uh, European derived art music that we call classical music, you know, everything that it is right now is still under the shadow of John Cage and his and his theories and contributions. There's no way to escape it. And you can't go back. You can't go back to Wagner. You can't go back to Beethoven. You can't go back after you've witnessed. You can't even go back to Bartok after you've witnessed this guy. Would you say that John Cage is the Bruce Lee of martial arts music? Or, yep. Yeah. No, yeah, I would. I would. Okay. <laughs> I, would, I agree with that. So, agree wholeheartedly with that statement. I don't agree with his John Cage's depiction in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when Quentin Tarantino had Brad Pitt kicking his ass, though. I thought. Yeah, was I hate it when Brad Pitt kicked John Cage's ass. I, yeah, and then they made out a little because John Cage was super gay. <laughs> That's actually true. John Cage is also like he, he has a great biography. He was he was a, he was a gay man. He. Uh, hooked up with a uh, famous uh, modernist dancer, Merce Cunningham, and I bet the sex they had was crazy. Where was John Cage November 22nd, 1963? <laughs> Are you saying he assassinated John Kennedy? I just want to I just want to know where he was, that's all. Uh, he was at Dealey Plaza. Oh no! <laughs> oh god! Oh god! It all makes sense! Yeah. It all makes sense! Uh, yeah, John Cage used a prepared shotgun. He, he put a bunch, he put a bunch of pipe cleaners in a shotgun and made a funny magic bullet. His modernist shooting technique. <laughs> yeah, it's it a silent bullet. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there was like, uh, and there was a lot of humor in John Cage's music too, which is what I liked. Um, yeah, I think he was once interviewed on like the Steve Allen show and cause he, he was doing a set piece where he was like, uh. Uh, doing one of his sound effect songs. I think, uh, I want to say it was like an imaginary landscape or something like that. But, you know, uh, something where he'd have like a kettle and then like a bell and then he would play these sounds in sequence and that would be the composition. And they ask him, aren't you afraid that someone will laugh at your performance? And John Cage says in his distinctive sort of uh, effeminate voice, well, better they laugh than cry. And, you know, I always thought, oh, that's such a sweet, that's such a nice thing. Um... Yeah, for commentators on my top 10 list, did I leave out female composers? Yes. I did not study them. <laughs> it's in school. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Um, oh, there are a lot man. of great female classical composers. Um, there are a lot, especially electronic composers. That's when uh, women, for some reason, are allowed more uh, egalitarian uh, uh, more egalitarian uh, music abilities. You know, uh, that, that was a bad sentence, but I can um, immediately think of someone like Delia Derbyshire, who, you know, made the Doctor Who theme, or Eliane Radig, uh, who did the wonderful Trilogie des Morts. Um, and, yeah, for some reason, electronic composition seems to be the place that had less gender segregation than regular classical music. Um... I'm trying to think of like, uh, where I'm trying to think, uh, like the, probably the, uh, the most prominent, uh, classical female, classical musician I can think of is, uh, Meredith Monk, maybe does a lot of choral work, hmm. a lot of breath work, you, you know, Meredith Monk, she has pigtails. Well, listen, it's your, your grave that you're digging. 
Yeah. They made fun of her on. They made fun of her on Red Letter Media. It was funny. Red Letter Media did a best of the worst video, mm-hmm. and they had an unearthed a Meredith Monk video, and they had no idea what they were watching. And their review was, "I hate this." That's funny. <laughs> oh no! Well, what can you do? Um. But uh, I mean, also like, uh, what stretches the bounds? I'm. I, I haven't kept. Uh, in touch with the world of uh, classical music today. I don't really know what's going on. Uh, they're trying. Yeah. They're doing Aphex Twin covers to try to get the youngsters interested. That's what's going yeah. on. It's uh, it's it's mostly Kingdom Hearts. They're just playing the Kingdom Hearts soundtrack because it's so popular. Ser- no, okay. So I was listening to NPR and they were like, "There's this new string quartet that wants you to know they've done a c- album of Flying Lotus covers." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um yeah. yeah, I can't stand shit like that. Um I guess if we're trying to see like a direction um I uh, of classical music composing, I can think of or or like stuff that sort of broached the mainstream that's relatively new. The the guy that I, I can think of is someone like Calden Stetson, Colin Stetson, you know, the saxophonist. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh, he does those like uh, his his composition is very indicative of modern uh, of of today's classical sort of minimalism. Minimalism is still an ongoing obsession, um, repeating patterns, and you, you hear that reflected a lot. Yeah, when you once you find the right pattern, you're gonna, it's like a spell. You're gonna un- mm-hmm. unravel the universe. Yeah, watch well, out! Yeah, yeah. watch I... out, minimalists. Don't get That's too fun. into the fractions. Um, so, yeah, those are my top ten guys. Uh, Mendelssohn, Chopin, <laughs> Ligeti. Uh, I forget. Yeah. Uh, J.S. Bach. Uh, number six was... Messian was five. Oh. Who was six? Who was after Bach? It was Le- uh, Bartok. Berlioz. 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 Then there was Messian. Then there was Bartok. Then there was Satie. Then there was uh, Stravinsky. Then there was John Cage. Good list. Good list, mm. Alex. So they were well very done. Good list. I couldn't have yeah. named ten classical composers if I tried. And you, well, you didn't. Under my under my definition, classical stops like at the year nineteen hundred. Okay. Um, yeah. Anything past nineteen hundred is modern music, and it's all good. But but I I classical. love classical music. I don't think it's it's not. And I, I think there's an illusion that classical music is inaccessible, but it's really not. Um, just go on, just go on the YouTube's and look how many views Beethoven's got. Beethoven's got more views than PewDiePie, you know. He's like, that's not true. But no, that's not true. Yeah, PewDiePie has more views than Beethoven. <laughs> don't you want? Don't you hate living in a world where on YouTube, PewDiePie has more views than Beethoven? <laughs> Tragedy tragedy okay just... well each beethoven video is like six hours long so you, uh, to get one view it's six hours of your time should have been more concise yeah come on That's beethoven yeah. uh I, I i think people would attend more classical concerts if they were only like half an hour long maybe yeah i don't know uh, but they're um they're losing money so they're having they're having to record flying lotus they're yeah. having to like work with '90s, like like a '90s Britpop band that gets back together, gets to have a whole orchestra on stage now because yeah. the orchestras are like, we need work. <laughs> so what's uh, what's the orchestra programming? Well, it's 25 days of the music of Kingdom Hearts, and then we have 
one day for Bach, and yeah. then four days of the music of Super Mario. Um, <laughs> every other month, we go to the... Pretty, it's pretty rundown. Uh, it's a uh, drive-in movie theater, and we play the Star Wars music um, just to a blank screen. And they, uh, they, we don't have the rights to play Star Wars, but we can play the Star Wars music, and people come, and they watch uh, Star Wars on their phone. Hmm. Yep. And we get paid in hot dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's a great orchestra. Yeah. What do you do? You have do you have health and dental? Yes, but that's also hot dogs. <laughs> you have to pay your hot dog premium. <laughs> your health. We're calling this your health care plan, but it's really a hot dog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really like classical. I'm not, I'm no scholar or anything. I'm just a dilettante, but, uh, I've given you my dilettante's 10. A wow. dilettante's 10. Well, my, my list has Mozart on it and he's up there. He's up there. He's great. I mean, I, not today. I mean, my list left off a lot of greats, left off Beethoven, Wagner, Mozart, uh, Haydn. Uh, uh, Tchaikovsky, uh, De- Debussy, uh, Sadly, Ravel. Tchaikovsky's oh, yeah, la- great. He's also he's the last classical composer. He's also he was also gay. Well, you got to make a if you do a list, it's got to be all gay composers. All gays, all the gay ones. <laughs> yes, okay. John Cage, Tchaikovsky, uh, probably Mozart. Sure. Well, not no I'm Mozart sure was very gay. straight. We're, yeah, Mozart. Mozart was a poon hound, famed famed poon hound Mozart. Uh, famed pussy eater Mozart. Wow. Famed de gay pussy eater Mozart. <laughs> <laughs> that was his nickname in in uh, seventeen in eighteenth century Salzburg was uh, Wolfgang de gay pussy eater <laughs> Mozart. <laughs> wow, uh, he was a badass. So. He was. He died. I left off Schubert. Schubert's incredible. Everyone should listen to Schubert. Didn't isn't there a lady Schubert? Uh, I don't know. Uh, no, you're thinking of Schumann. Schumann. Uh, yeah, Claire. Yeah, Clara? actually, yeah, Clara, Clara Schumann is is probably the most prominent. Uh, is probably the most prominent female. I know. I played composer. a lot of Schumann piano like duets when I was taking piano. Schumann is super dry. It's very dry music, but uh, you know it's great. It's fan- fantasy Stucke is very cool. Uh, it's very cool, fantasy Stucke. You know we like it a lot. You know there were a lot of German composers that we drew from. You know in our pursuit to get the best funky beats out there. You know Schumann, <laughs> Schubert. You know there, there are a lot of guys, a lot of Bavarian guys. Back when the world was dominated by European culture, uh, mm. and now, no, everyone in America are like vaguely aware there's a soccer thing happening. Yeah, looks like Shakira. Shakira is releasing a song, "Waka Waka," this time for Europe. All right, so they're <laughs> they're going to penalty shootouts. Oh my, right, bruv, bruv. They're going into penalty shootouts right now. Should we extend the episode uh, until they're finished with penalty shootouts? And release this after everyone knows the result, but we're calling it live uh, well, right now. Just judging by how many minutes we have left, that'll probably happen anyway. Okay. Okay. Hell yeah. What's happening? Who's I shooting I don't know. Out? I'm not watching. Is it Fabrizio just... from the Italian team? Um, I'm just going to make up 
um, there, there's Bruv Grombly from the England team. Uh, <laughs> there's uh, uh, there's so Guna Basher. I don't Guna know. Basher. It's really up in the air. So Uh-oh. hopefully now is the time. Calling all streakers. This is the time to shine. Um, yeah. Disrupt the Italians by streaking onto the field. Do it now for yeah. your country. Show them your cut foreskins, and they they will they will be amazed at the dryness of your heads. When a when a streak like the referee actually has four kinds of flags. Um, yeah. When there's a streaker, he throws the foreskin flag. He throws the foreskin flag, which was as we alluded to early in the episode, made out of a, a stressed out foreskin. And of course, from, with wind. Uh, football, uh, we call it soccer here. Actually, yeah. all the flags used to be foreskins that they right, would right. cut off. They would take steel from Jewish people. Uh, very anti-Semitic yeah. when soccer Extremely was Extremely anti-Semitic history of... Uh, mm-hmm. Name one Jewish soccer player. You can't. It's a very anti-Semitic sport. Uh, and right now... Actually, Ronaldo used to be called Ronaldo Steen, but they made his family change it at it's two Brazil's the, Ellis Island. It's two of the most prominently anti-Semitic countries competing. Um, so whoever wins, we lose. My I don't think of Italy as very prominently anti-Semitic. Of course they are. They're Every one of the most. Every country is anti-Semitic. No, and they're French one of more anti-Semitic. No, the Italians. Ah, uh, les Juifs. <laughs> no, <Nope. Les> <laughs> it's the Italians. <laughs> ah, scabengi, le sematisme. Sematisme, sematisme. Um, England, they don't hate the Jews as much as they hate trans people. That's their that's their thing now, is they hate trans people. Yeah, well, they. I mean, their leader, J.K. Rowling, forced them to. Yeah. It's they've got this kind of authoritarian type deal, and it is really you really can blame her. You absolutely can very much blame her in a large part for the increasing turfery yeah. of the U.K. Oh yeah, I burned uh, I burned my Harry Potter books. <laughs> <laughs> I it's very funny when I was talking about. I was talking about J.K. Rowling to my dad because J.K. Rowling had hated. Uh, I mean, my dad had hated Harry Potter because he still is like has this lapsed Catholic sensibility towards magic and the devil and witches. I I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. And so now I'm coming to him 20 years later, and he's like, "Well, well, well. Look who ne- look now who wants to burn the J.K. Rowling books." Wow! Wow! So he owned you right there. Yeah, he owned. He got me. He got me good. Classic dads just holding out a grudge. <laughs> Did you? I guess I was into Harry Potter. I definitely devoured the books and like wanted to get them as soon as possible when I was a kid. Yeah. But um, even up to Deathly Hallows, which I think came out when I was, I don't know, what, 16 or something like that? Yeah. I mean, my Harry Potter fandom peaked at the one before the last one. Like Half Blood Prince, the one where Dumbledore dies. Spoiler. Yeah, <laughs> and that was when it it started to wane. After that, um, after mm. the four chan campaign to spoil that Dumbledore died, and it was spoiled by for me by four chan, which is very funny. <laughs> That's a very classic experience from that era. Everyone, I was there, man. I had Harry Potter spoiled to be dude, by B. Do you remember they they were like driving around in cars and they were like throwing <laughs> books at people and screaming Dumbledore dies? Oh man, I wish 4chan was still that. I wish they, it had stayed that. They are. I mean, they're ru- they're ruining people's lives all over. They just I sent you a link to a uh, the 
letters uh, left by this maintainer, the software maintainer, being like, 4chan has bullied me out of my job, I'm quitting, I'm scared for my life, and I'm moving. That's not as funny as spoiling Harry Potter for people. Right. Or have no, a hotel. Or protesting as, Scientology. It's not really as good or funny. Or but, any of the old... Four, 2005 4chan when it was just anime weirdos. But they're still at it, is what I mean to say. Yeah. They're still harassing people, but this time it's much more intense. <laughs> yeah, I think, he, I think the guy said someone came to his house and stabbed him. Like someone from 4chan... <laughs> <laughs> came to the man house. from 4chan <laughs> and so there's some people are like are you sure <laughs> are you sure are you sure it was 4chan <laughs> he's it's like yeah crazy it was 4chan. to me there are still 4chan users um and it's i it's not thriving but it's still like a pretty big community yeah it um, used to be one of all... like the top 10 most used websites yeah it bankrupted poor moot Poor Moot. Well, it emotionally bankrupted him. Yeah. I feel bad for that guy. He didn't really get mm, anything out of that. I don't feel bad for him. He got a job but at why Google. Is he bad? He got a job oh, at Google okay. out of it. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, is he some still... sort of... Is it like a made-up job where he's some sort of technology guru or yeah, something like that? Yeah, I mean, that? he knows what he's doing. I don't think it's yeah. that made up. Okay. Google's a huge company, and he ran... He was a systems administrator like chief guy for a long time on one of the most used websites in the world. So he knows a thing or two. Hmm. Oh, fortune. Remember the, Oh really owl? Yeah. Wow. I miss that owl. Not even Remember long f- cat. Why even f- not, not, not even that funny, you know? No, no, but if <laughs> I don't know, I'm thinking about it. Thinking about that owl, man. I'm thinking about that owl. He went, oh, really? <laughs> and he was smiling. <laughs> he, was, he was saucy. He was yeah. a, no, the, be, the best ancient 4chan meme is absolutely centipedes in my vagina. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I, still, mm-hmm. I still repeat to myself on a daily basis. <laughs> centipedes in my vagina. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were funny back then. Then it got too real. Oh, man. Italy is a kick away from victory. <gasps> the Azuri. Donna Mura uh, guesses correctly. Bernard Deschi slams one straight down the middle. <gasps> Fans <gasps> are poised to riot. Oh, uh, my God. The there are going to be so win. many people jacking off in Italy. Just so many Italians <laughs> going, jacking off their uncut dicks. <laughs> You think that's really what's going on in Italy? No. Yeah. Grandma's making a pizza. You're right. Making uh, a pizza pie. The, 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 the Ninos are out there causing trouble shooting people. You know what they do in Italy? <laughs> I visit, when I visited what? Naples, everybody yeah. has an electric scooter now. They all have electric scooters that are silent. Mm. And they're sneaking up on tourists and stealing their shit. It's very funny. It's crazy. Drive-by purse snatchings. Mm-hmm. You got to wear your purse across your neck. You can't wear it leaving hanging on just one shoulder. You will get that snatched by a six-year-old Italian on the back of his 13-year-old brother's electric scooter that makes no sound. They should remake Bicycle Thieves, but it should be electric scooter thieves this time. And it's a shocking neo-realist take where a wide-eyed Italian child goes up to his uh, father and goes, Papa! England is still alive. 
Oh no! The worst. The worst country. Who are we? We're rooting for Italy, oh. right? Because. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. I think uh -oh. Italians have won.